Welcome to our weekly Wednesday year. Person has mazali gaver on their birthdays. Person is born, mazali gaver, their mazal is in takeif, is in full strength, and they have the strength to bless, and they have the strength of many different things that I've spoke about at length about birthdays, the importance of a birthday. And the question, of course, becomes, does a person still have anything like that once they pass away? Once they're an Elamemus? Is the birthday still have any significance? Birth represents the beginning of a cycle of a person in the world, a person in life. A person is born, they're given the opportunity to embark on the worldly mission of Teda, of Mitzvahs. Now, of course, needless to say, everybody's given freedom of choice to choose. And we, of course, recommend, the Teda says, to choose life. Sometimes a person is given proper tools and they Baruch Hashem devote and dedicate themselves Teirah, Mitzvahs and sometimes a person misses the boat but they get an opportunity suddenly for a little mitzvah And that mitzvah is <coughs> perhaps their life mission. And then there are those that achrimayskidation. After that passing, something happens to somebody, to a relative, or to something, and this brings about an entire change in that person's life, in their merit. Sorry. I tell a story of a survivor, a Holocaust survivor, who got to America after the war and wanted nothing to do with Yiddishkeit, wanted nothing to do with Judaism whatsoever. He moved down south, he married a woman, a Jewish girl, American girl, many generations American, but Jewish. And they moved down south somewhere to some remote place, have nothing to do, nothing, they want to raise their children Jewish, or think that they were Jewish, and know about Judaism. Plan worked perfect. They lived in some remote town, did well for himself, and they had a few children, But the pintle yid was always there, the little spark, the little dot is always inside the person. 
And when did it strike him? His son was turning 13. And he says to the boy, he says, mm-hmm. you know, the fact is that we are Jewish. A boy at 13, it's a special day in his birthday. Come, I'm going to take you to town. Whatever you want, I'll buy you. Take you to the city. And they come to the big city, and they're going from store to store, and there's a lot of very, very exciting things for a 13-year-old with no budget. Eh, didn't speak to him, as we say. Didn't speak to him. Lo and behold, it's a city, like every other city. And they pass a Judaica store. The boy says, hey, Dad, let's go in here. Father says, are you kidding me? <laughs> no. He says, Dad, it's my day. You told me whatever I want. Let's go in here, maybe. What do you think they have in there? Artifacts, old things, antiques, some religious items. Come on. What are you going to find there already? Dad, is it my day? Is it not my day? All right, let's go. And they go in. In there. In there. And they're looking around, looking around, looking around. And the boy's eyes fall on something that blew his father's mind. An old clay mineral. And it's an old claim in there, and it says, the note says, this is from a concentration camp. No more, no less. One of the inmates managed to make this in the concentration camp under all the pressure and duress. So that he was like Minera in the, in the whole oppression that he was going through. Now, truth to be told, it's a, definitely a, uh, something that's worthwhile cherishing. But the truth to be told, it was not a unique item. Many, many inmates did this. <clears throat> they got some kind of clay or something, and they made holes in it, and they called it the manera, and they lit manera, they found that it was some wax or candles or something, and they lit a manera once or twice during Hanukkah. Some had a communal Menorah in their bunker. Whatever. But Menorah was not a, a novel thing that nobody knew about, nobody saw. Father said, no way, you're not getting it. He says, but Dad, you said anything. And it came back and forth, and the father saw he had no, re- no leverage, no way of winning this battle. And he negotiated, it was a hefty price, not to say the least. And he bought the son the Menera. They took it home. The son used to look at it and cherish it and keep it in his cabinet, his glass cabinet where he could see it all the time. He loved it. And of course, needless to say, he found out it's a Hanukkah Menera, so he found out on the calendar when Hanukkah is going to start. He's going to light, he's determined to light this Menera on Hanukkah. Back and forth. Hanukkah arrives. Hanukkah arrives and the boy with the most delicate hands takes out his treasure 
his father paid so much money for him. And he's carrying it to the table, and lo and behold, it slips and cracks all over the place. The boy was beyond himself. If he burst out in tears or not, he was a 13-year-old boy. But he was not a happy camper, say the least. And the father saw how shattered the son was. He says, you know what, don't worry, let's put it together. We'll get glue, we'll put it together. They start piecing it together and they see, lo and behold, there's a piece of paper inside. One of the pieces. Take out the paper. And the father opens it up and passes out. They revive him because they couldn't understand the thing that said on the paper because it was written in Yiddish. And he starts to cry like a baby. And he says, I'm in a concentration camp. I work, I work 14, 16 hours a day. And I come at night and I'm piecing together with clay that I can find this manure. I'm hoping I'll light it on Hanukkah if I live that long. But if I don't live that long, I don't survive this war, I don't survive this tortures, they didn't know it was a war even, they didn't know what they were going through. I ask you, whoever finds this manure, please continue to light it. In my memory, And it was signed by him. He signed that paper. This was his Menorah. Ironically, or not, the father didn't do Jewish. Not that we know of. But the son did. And the son raised a from family of Taylor Elevator. Do we know which mitzvah it is that affects a future generation? Which mitzvah it is that affects a friend, a sibling? And that has them find HaKadosh Baruch find Hashem, find Torah, find Mitzvahs. It's beyond us to understand. But his, his Neshama, Hey Tevis is his birthday, Neshama Shevan Aliyah. It's an unfortunate circumstance which way, how he passed, young age. His wife should have be have be consoled, and the main thing is he should be amongst those that he keeps around the Sheikh Neafar. When Mashiach comes, and he will too, his neshama too will greet his body, rise up, and greet Mashiach.
Torah tells us, Pashas Vayigash, the brothers confront Yosef. We know the entire episode that goes through, and all the ramifications, the meeting of Yosef and Binyamin, crying on each other's shoulders. Ha'ed of Yichai is my father is still alive. They repeatedly told him about their father. Why does he ask, is my father still alive? Yosef was punished because he understood Hebrew. He understood Lashon Kedish. And when his siblings spoke about his father, they said, Avdecha Ovi, your servant, our father. And not once did he stop them. I think it was three times, if I remember correctly, three times that he heard them say, your servant, our father, making reference to his own father being his servant, and this didn't sit well. We can perhaps say, translate, the words that he's using, Ani Yosef HaOid Avichai. When you said Avdecha Avi, you said my father, my slave. I wasn't really picturing and visualizing, envisioning my father is my slave. It's not doesn't work for me. My father who I know is my master, is my teacher, is my everything. Person you're talking about that you're referring to and you keep calling Avdi, 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 I'm not so sure if that person is my father that you're actually referring to because after all my father is not my slave. But now I want to know is my father as he is still alive? And they confess, and they, they concur, they conclude, and they bring him to, they ensure him that his father is still alive. And so, he sends gifts, and he sends agolim, wagons, and also young calves, to verify by Yaakov, that he is still alive, Yosef. For the last law that they studied together was the law of Egla Rufa. The animal, sorry, the person that was found dead in a field, and we didn't know which, field, which city he belonged to, which city he came from, and we don't know who murdered him, obviously, and so they would go, and the elders of the city that's closest to the dead body but it tells us had to be brought, had to bring a, a calf, a young calf that was never used for a field and never worked on, and etc. And the way they killed the calf, etc., there's own halachas of Egla Rufa. These were the last halachas that he'd studied with his father before he departed to go to his brothers and ultimately ended up in Egypt for all these years.
So he sent this telling his father, remember what the last thing we learned. And of course the father did, as did the son. And thereby, verifying his identity to his father, and showing his father that he was indeed still alive. So now that Yaakov knows, and he wants to go down, he says, today's chitas, before I die, I want to go see my son Yosef. But i got preparations to make, I'm not in a rush, I want to see him, I'm desperate to see him, I love him, I miss him. He sent Yehuda ahead of him to Yosef to prepare Goshen in advance. City Goshen was, was dedicated for the Yaakov and his children. But he sent Yehuda to establish a yeshiva. Yosef was not deceiving his father in any which way, form, or fashion. By sending the Agolim, the Eglis, he did not try to fool his father and say, oh, you see, I remember something in Tera. He indeed studied and sat and learned Tera and did mitzvahs throughout. He was he remained faithful to the to all his Yiddishkeit. In that case, why send Yehuda? Send back a messenger to Yosef, tell him that you're saying, giving us the land of Goshen, make sure there's a yeshiva. Set up a yeshiva. What's up with Yehuda? More than Yosef. There's a difference. Of the Balasik that has Kviyasit and Latera and the Yeshiv Eil. The man that goes out to work every day, but every night, every morning has his set time which he studies Tera. And then the person that sits and studies Tera 24-7 sometimes sleeps in the middle too. There Language is different. Their ideas are different. Their fundamentality is different. Their approach is different. Everything is different between them. Yosef was takatzadik. Taka sitting and in, in doing al-tayr al-aveda, he sit and, and he did the tayr mitzvahs that he had to do. But... He still had a country to run. Not only a country, but all the surrounding countries, the people came to him as well for food. So, Yesus' ultimate involvement in Tehra Mitzvah was commendable. However, it didn't, it, it didn't compare, shall we say, it paled in comparison to the Teda studied by the brothers. The brothers who sat, they were shepherds. They had plenty of time on their hands. And at that time they sat and they studied Teda. 
So since this yeshiva would be the foundation of Yaakov's family, keeping them in the residence of, of, of Mitzrayim, Erva Saoretz, it was crucial that it was set up by a person that had only Torah in itself within him. And that was Yehuda alone, not Yosef. So therefore Yehuda was sent out. Okay, the ringer was off, so I didn't see you calling. But welcome to our shear. I used to say always when he used to come online, he said, Welcome Atlanta. So we can go back again to saying the good old days, Welcome Atlanta. We don't know what puts us in what place. We don't know how we find ourselves in certain places. Oh, what a miracle, I happen to be in this place at this time. People have that business. Mazel, Zashtevis, Mokam, Zman, Liyais. To be in the right place at the right time. But most importantly, we see in our daily lives, Hashkacha Pratis, how it works, how it evolves, how it goes around and comes around. Recently, this fellow gave the, the Baldashin and someone gave a Bacha gave him a letter a letter and the Bacha writes in the letter as following I personally am an istinist I don't like garbage I don't like mess I don't like dirt I came on Friday from Yeshiva that is what boy is writing, by the way. He has a cast on his arm. He's explaining how the story took place. I came home from Yeshiva, and I saw a big garbage bag by the entrance of our building. Now, that's <coughs> a Halbert Sada, that's a big garbage bag sitting in the middle of the en- by the entrance. Disgusting, it's a mess. That's a half a problem. The other half of the problem was it was directly under our apartment. So needless to say when these garbage bags are going to start smelling, we're going to get the smell as well. But the whole idea behind it of having a garbage bag sitting here for no reason was absurd. So he says, I approached the neighbor that sold this accordingly left the bag. I said, Abid, what are you thinking? This is a site. I didn't have time yet to take it down. I'll get down before Shabbos to go down. Yeah, but, yeah, but, nothing. I can't now.
Bracha was not a happy camper. Went upstairs to his house, and he had to do some fixing on his porch before Shabbos. His mother had told him about it before. So he climbed over the railing of the porch. He was working from the other side. Lo and behold, he slipped and fell a floor and a half. One and a half floors up. He broke his arm. The other arm, he's scratched up terribly. But his head landed on this very big, full bag of garbage which saved his life. Because under the bag, where the bag was put, were very sharp stones, actually. They were heavy stones, whatever, sharp or not sharp. Had he fallen, God forbid, on the stone with his head, he would have been finished. But because that garbage bag was there, it saved his life. We don't know. We don't know where we are, why we're there then, who we have to meet, who we have to impress. And sometimes we've been there and left and we didn't find anybody, we didn't talk to anybody, we didn't see anybody. We made a bracha there or we just had a thought of terror while we were there and we who knows what we accomplished with it. Whether it be somebody that would see you and say, wow, I haven't seen it from June so long. That's my sign from heaven that I have to become religious again. You never know what's happening. And here, as he sent down to Mitzrayim, Yaakov says to himself, myself, I Baruch Hashem was Matzliach, to raise a beautiful family. Baruch Hashem had success keeping everybody on the straight and narrow. Mitzrayim is not a pleasant place to be. It's just not a very holy place, to say the least. To take my children and expose them, my grandchildren, expose them to the horrific country of Mitzrayim is scary what should I say no more no less it's scary HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself comes to Yaakov and says to him Al Tiro Merdo Mitzrayim feareth not to go down to Egypt he's already in Be'er Sheva he's on his way when HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells him this, because he says, Ki asim There, in that Egypt, you're only going down with 70 people, in that place you're going to have a, become a great nation. So the question comes up, why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu await to this guarantee for Yaakov to arrive in Be'er Sheva, leave Canaan, get to Be'er Sheva, He's on his way already. The mere fact that he's on his way already shows that he's 
he's invested into this. He's not frightened anymore. When he left his home in Canaan, he needed reinsurance. He's on the way already. Why now? Come to tell him. Rashi explains. This is the last stop leaving it to so. He did not want to go out to Chutzlaretz. According to Rashi, Yaakov was not frightened of going down to Egypt. Rather, he was pained on going, going, going out of Israel, and therefore, Hakadosh Baruch Hu comes and tells him, and is strengthening him and giving him strength in his heart, fortifying and telling him, "Don't worry about it, Tatla." So, in essence, Yaakov himself was not worried about going down to Egypt. He knows that Yosef set him aside his creation, this area for itself. So it's not going to have to be influenced. They won't be influenced by the Egyptian culture. They have their own neighborhood. So when he left home, he was very reassured. He had no problem. He wasn't worried. He knows that they're all going to Goshen. The Mitzrayim stay in their capitals. He was alone. When he came to Beersheba, to the bow, to the border of Israel, he felt some kind of pain, a pang of leaving the Holy Land. He's been there, done that, and got the T-shirt. He left. He, he left Israel before because he had to go to get married. Twenty years he spent in Charon. But now, leaving it to soul gave him this extra pain. And that very time, there were 70 people, 70 souls that belonged to Yaakov. He already started establishing a Jewish nation. The best place, as we said before, to raise a Jewish nice Jewish child, nice Jewish children, will be in Israel. So therefore, now he was in pain when he reached the border of Israel on his way to Egypt, taking the seventy souls with him, and that's why now Hakadosh Baruch Hu comes to him and tells him, "Tira mir the Mitzrayim, feareth not." I'll make you for a great nation then. HaKadosh Baruch Hu guarantees him Dafka in Mitzrayim the Jewish nation will be established the Jewish nation will be built for Goy Godol great nation more than it was in Eretz Yisrael but HaKadosh Baruch Hu does not tell them Al Titzta'er don't be in pain over what you're doing. Altira, don't fear. He's taking away from Yaakov only the suspicions of, God forbid, 
the not good outcome of going down to Mitzrayim. But he's not taking away the pain of him leaving it itself. So that going down to exile, this pain he doesn't take away. It's the opposite. He remains with this pain. Telling a Jew where their real place is. And with this strength, they can overcome their exile, the hardships of exile. This is a lesson to each and every one of us. Throughout our JPT of Golos, just passing through. From one side, we don't need to fear the Golos, the exile. If Akash Baruch sent us here to this place, wherever it might be, to Brooklyn, to Queens, to Atlantic City, Atlantic Beach, doesn't matter. It's definite that he's going to give him strength to overcome the tests, trials, tribulations. Dafke, because of the overcoming the hardships of exile, Amisol achieves its greatness. In, spa- in, s- in spite of all the exile, in spite of all the trials and tribulations that are thrown at us, we prevail and we shine. With this in mind, we tend to bend a little bit. Being in pain over the fact that we are in exile. Truth is, God forbid that a Jew should find comfort and happiness and joy for being in exile. I mean, you have to be happy, you have to be joyful, but for being a Yid, not because you're in exile. Though. And a Jew needs to be tortured, actually, by the fact that they are in the situation we are in. Banim shegolu me'al shulchan aviyem. If you keep your score at home, it's Gimara Brachis, Gimel on the bottom of Amr Aleph. We're considered like children that were exiled from the table of their fathers. And therefore he needs to scream, Ad Mosai. How long does this have to be? And Dafka, because the pain of this exile, and the not just requesting but beseechment of of redemption of going to the Geula Tafka through that we can speed up the coming of Mashiach Zidkenu and the Geula Amitus Vashlema Karev Mamish Amen Kenya Hiratsun the true redemption We all have our own times of redemptions, our own ways of doing tshuva.
One such fact is that a person needs to ask forgiveness. Somewhere along our lines in our lives, ultimately somebody has done something, has wronged someone, and they need to ask forgiveness. And Hashem, as our witness to our sincerity, sees to it that forgiveness is usually shared. Stories told. Now we're just coming off of Hanukkah. Of a Rav Rebbe in Yerushalayim had a yeshiva shul chsidim. Told his gabbai before Hanukkah started, I want the bachrim of the yeshiva to be on the front line by menorah lighting. Next to me, the closest first line of people. Usually the elders of this one. I want the Bachram Yeshiva. Not kinder, not children from Cheda. Bachram Yeshiva. This is Kenai Nahara, a nice size Yeshiva. So there was a roster made up. You want, the Rebbe said every night a different group. Excuse me, there's a roster made up. And the first night, a row of Bachram lined up. Mzdu. Tremendously inspirational. It was a big thing being right next to the Rebbe by Menera lighting and everything. It was phenomenal. The next day, one of the guys in that first group said to his friends, You know what? I was looking. All the Gaboyim, all the guys who work for work by the Rebbe, they there every night. Why do we have to only be one night? Let's go, we'll push through. And they came, this, according to the list, the second group showed up, and this first list group came and started pushing and shoving and saying, no, we want to be here too. And one of the secretaries, one of the Gabayim, said to them, Hebra, come on, get back. You had your chance last night, give it somebody else. I said, no. Eh, back and forth, finally the head Gabay himself came over and said, Hebra, had oof, stop this. Go back to the places. This is now their place that they ever wanted. They refusing. And this guy, the instigator, says to the Gabba, he says, you know what, when you don't stand there every night, we won't. If you can stand there every night, we can stand too. The Gabba can no longer tolerate the audacity and walked over and he slapped the Bacha across the face. It's a Bacha. Bachar got very, very insulted, very hurt. He walked out, stormed out with all his friends who got petrified from what just happened, and they ran off. The next day, the Gabbai realized that this is a horrible thing that he did. He shouldn't hit a Bachar. And he sent a message asking for Mechila, and the Bachar refused to accept. It was the fin of Tulichtul. Fifth light of Hanukkah. And the Bacha was summoned by the Rebbe. Before Menorah lighting. And the Rebbe had a chokli sal chumish open to the Pasha. And he showed the Bacha. 
Zaya. He told the Bachar, read it. And the Bachar read it, it told the story. The story of Rav Abba, who attested to seeing a fellow that made sure every night before he went to sleep, he forgave everybody. Anyone that heard him and slighted him any which way, form or fashion, he forgave them. Fully. Full-heartedly. And because of that, the person saw miracles on a constant basis. End of story. That night, sorry, the Bacha understood the, the message he immediately went out, he bought some schnapps and some cake, and he went to the Gabe's house. And the Gabe was worried that this is, going to be a bad, and this is not going to be a pleasant scene. The Bacha said, no, look, I'm coming bearing gifts. They sat down, they said, they asked each other, they asked each other's forgiveness. I should never have slapped you, I should never have been the chutzpahdik. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And they made up. That night, the Bacha could not fall asleep. Couldn't fall asleep. He said, you know what, let me get a Gemara. I'll sit and learn some Gemara. So he got a Gemara, but he didn't have a flashlight. Ha ha. But it's Hanukkah. So a lot of the Bacha, everybody actually, in those days, had one Shamus for the whole Hanukkah. And they lit that Shamus, and they lit the Menet, and then they put out the Shamus. So there's a bunch of Shamasim sitting there, so he took the Shamasim, and he sat down, and he lit them all up on a chair, and he sat down and studied. He was sitting on his bed, the Gemara on the chair with the candles, and he's learning. Well, I don't know if you ever realized or noticed or understood or heard this, no better way of falling asleep than putting down a Savior in front of you. So although he couldn't sleep until now, sleep overwhelmed him, and he just fell down asleep on his bed. He fell down asleep on his bed, and his hand or his foot or whatever it was moved the Gemara. The Gemara moved and hit the candles. The candles fell over. The candles lit the Gemara, lit the chair, lit his bed, and he wakes up with his flames all around him. He starts to scream and to yell. He wakes everybody up. He gets everybody out of the dormitory. His bed was totally burnt. His pajamas were singed. But he came out alive. Immediately, it's 3 o'clock in the morning, immediately he runs to the Rebbe's Bismedish. He knew the Rebbe was up early learning and he walks over to him and tells him the story. And he tells him now he understands what Rav Abba said. How by forgiving somebody full-heartedly, you see immediate miracles. Because there was nothing left of his bed, even pajamas, as we said, were singed. He he walked away from being a, a, a barbecued bacha by the skin of his teeth, and all because, as Abba said in the schus of mechila, of asking forgiveness, and so too, I ask every night mechila from everyone that ever did any wrong, and I ask them to forgive me full-heartedly, and I forgive them full-heartedly, 
and let us all do the same and let us all see open miracles to the ultimate miracle of B.S. Mashiach Tzidkenu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells, tells Yaakov Avinu Anoichi Eired Imcha Mitzrayim I'm going to go down with you to Egypt but Anoichi Aalecha Gam Olei I will also bring you back up. There are four exiles that the Jews go through. First being the exile of Egypt, the second Bavel, the third Golas Ashur, and now the fourth Golas Edom, in which we are still find ourselves. The first motion of going down to Egypt, Pasha tells us, HaKadosh Baruch reveals himself to Yaakov Avinu, as I said before, V'anechi eredimcha mitzrayma v'anechi elagamalei. I'm going down with you, and I will bring you back up. And to keep in sync with this Keep in sync with this guarantee. He's going with him to begin with. And so begins the 210 years of exile in Egypt. There are several concepts of which Golas Mitzrayim was harder than all the other Golias. First of all, the other Golias, the Jews had the Torah already. And having the Torah, they had something to nurture themselves from. Where Egypt was still, Mitzrayim was before Har Sinai. Secondly, Golas Mitzrayim was the first. And the nature of the beast, first is always the hardest thing to get over. Anything that happens the first time, of course, becomes the hardest thing. Thirdly, Egypt encompassed the entire Jewish nation. And therefore the whole Golis was impacted on the entire nation. Whereas the other Golis, Jews are spread all over the world, amongst many different nations. One nation is giving us trouble, the other one is not, and it goes back and forth. They're not letting us be kings, but they are still not torturing us as much in this nation as they are in the other nation. And it unfortunately goes round and round, but it reminds us that we are in Golos, but some places almost feel like a safer haven than others. And therefore there's always salvations and, and packages and things that are sent out one nation to the other. Just a little shout out to those who can. My son in New Zealand has a, sh- a charity, fu- charity fund. 
and it's going on now actually it's on live you look up Auckland New Zealand and if anyone that could participate if anyone could send in a sheikhen it would be a wonderful wonderful thing and helping out an organization as Chabad of Auckland for doing what they do is just an incredible, incredible amount of work that they put in and that they put up with so it's on, I guess you go on charity.com c-h-a-r-d-y dot com um, I guess forward slash oof I have to get that to you A-U-K I believe A-U-K dot N-Z I'm not sure oops Atlanta Georgia just faded out on me not quite sure why um, charity dot com A-K-L in other words, forward slash AKL, forward slash 87359. That's charity, forward slash AKL, forward slash 87359. Disco anyone that can send, greatly appreciate it. And fourthly, Mitzrayim itself was a very tough nation. It was closed from all sides. Nobody was able to go out. Because I'll say, every ever to try to, no, no slave ever was able to escape from Egypt. So therefore, Therefore, these are four things that Mitzrayim is worse than anything else. This is a obligatory, obligatory uh, exile. It was all a preparation for Matera and Hasinai. They were sitting in Egypt, known as the Kura Basel, the melting pot of all different nations, and the Jews were preparing for Kabbalah Satera. So, explaining this, we see also the name Mitzrayim. From the word uh, from the language from the word Mitzrayim, they thrive. They take out what well, they took out from the the river. In the beginning, it all looked like within a boundary. When we think into it, and we see about the water, how the water overcame the nation. It was actually the opposite, not only supplying it, but it was actually a, a restraint. But either way, the water was surrounded the country. Same way also, our goal is 
which is to awaken a Jew, the strength that was within him, great, great strength and great strides from the depth of our Neshamas. And these strengths are not all revealed in general basis. But each day, as we get closer to the to the Geula, they get more and more, they surface more and more. But the pressure of the exile is what not contains, but presses on the Jews and puts the Eden into a position where they have to literally stand with Mesir Snefesh to reveal their inner strength. So therefore we need to take these days of exile, these last days of exile in which we are finding ourselves. And we have to see to it that we strengthen ourselves in Teir HaMitzvah. And through this Golos Mitzrayim, the Jews will go out to the Chush Godo, like they went out of Mitzrayim, with great wealth. And they will merit, as they merited, like Abol Satera, Kenya, Elonu. And with Niska, we should merit, because of Mamish, being the Mashiach, Kenya, made of Yemenu. And as next week is, next week is Asada Batevis. And we prepare for that fast. That fast should be turned over. Yahafu Yamela, the Sassan and Simcha. As we spoke, the Hey Tavis, the wonderful, wonderful day of Hey Tavis, in which the Rebbe tells the story in the Gemara of the Tana went out and called out the words, Didan Notzach, it's our victory. May it be our victory as well. And may we be, may we be victorious over Golos of all the Golias combined. And this take us all out with Mashiach Sakena, this very Shabbos, in Shalayim, in Akkadish, made of Yemenu, Amen.